Well, hello and welcome to Free Mind with Seth and Overready. This is Stephen Robles, and we're surrounded by boxes at the moment. We are surrounded by boxes. <laughs> we got many boxes. A, a little, oh. uh, a little setup here in the studio between the boxes because we are in that mid-move season. Mm. We've been uh, had the the fun experience of taking things to the Polk County landfill these last couple of days. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Two, two trips, Brother Robles, two, two trips. trips. Um, That's a purge right there. Yeah, man. And the vultures are flying out there. Oh, I don't know if they're buzzards or vultures or... They're demons. <laughs> <laughs> they are the nastiest looking... Oof. It's Bro. like hundreds of them just swarming. Maybe thousands. It's, it's crazy looking. Robin out there, the last church I worked at, we were cleaning out of storage units. Yeah, yeah. And we took like four trips out there. Oof. Bro, it's, the smell too. Oh, yeah. Like... It's next level. Mm-hmm. It's next level. Now, thankfully, I, I was telling Nerva, we've been blessed these, these couple of times, and we must have been like, I don't know if you say upwind, whatever the wind, the direction the wind was not blowing, we were there, so we did not get any smell. Really? Which is crazy. Like, I was like, man, everybody was in a good mood, like the workers, everything. It was it was now, really interesting. Did you go up, up to like the landfill part, or were you just- oh, No, we were just down where the dumpsters. Oh, no, no, that's child's play, bro. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> no, when we, when we went, went we drove no up, because we had a truck and this huge trailer. And so oh, we drove all the way like onto the landfill. Yikes. And bro, when we got out, like the dudes up there, like in like hazmat deals, <laughs> we're like, uh, can we be up here? And it, there, yeah, it doesn't smell down there. But okay, up, okay. Up, up so maybe we weren't blessed. We didn't have a, we didn't <laughs> have particular like, favor on our lives. Maybe we you just had, weren't in the weren't in the wrong area. Yeah, yes. maybe you had normal birds, no, but on top of that landfill, it's straight demons. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's. Next that level. is that is some nastiness, man. Yeah, but it's bad. but anyway, so we've been we've been repenting of collecting. I mean, mm. so this has been like what, at least well, maybe fifteen, sixteen years, thirteen years of our married life yeah. together. But even goes back beyond that, sure. reaching back to our single lives right. before marriage. Of all this junk we have collected mm. over the past sixteen years, we we about to hit that minimal life, bro. <laughs> I thought you were gonna preach a sermon right now. You know what I'm saying. About. And have we, we have we not been repenting? This is my new rule. If I haven't used it in three years, it is not needed in my life. It's going out. Listen, that's like I like having the rule. Like if you have a box in the attic, yeah. and you have no idea what's in it and it's not labeled, <laughs> don't <laughs> open <laughs> it. Look. Just throw it away. If you this if is, you don't know what's in it, it can't be that important. It, right? No, yeah, that's it can't true. be that important. Just yeah, I man. Mean, you know, so we are down. yeah we're downsizing into this new season, going right. from this you know kind of big old historic house in four Lakeland bedrooms to a one bedroom to a one bedroom apartment. So that's, that's it. A, that's tiny. A and and the next step, bro, is that tiny house. That's tiny, <laughs> three hundred square feet. So well, we're going, we're going we'll smaller and smaller in this next season. We're gonna see what happens, but yeah. Um, even yeah. in the midst of these boxes, you know, we're trying to we want to we want to keep these uh, podcasts going. So we're, right. we're actually yes. we're still thinking through some. Uh, some amazing guests we're looking forward to having hopefully in the next few months so yeah. be on the lookout mm-hmm. for that but even now even now we are yeah. uh we are here and we yeah. are um we, we've been reading praying studying all kind of stuff man mm-hmm. it's it's been amazing just uh I, i've been looking more into that bob jones thing by the way really since it that prophecy since, yeah that prophecy so i think we mentioned that last week about the Kansas City Chiefs prophecy mm. that he gave. And so I've, I've just been interested, you know, I like to keep, like I said, an ear to the pavement and in the prophetic community to to see what's going on. And as I've been doing the deep dive on that, apparently he was he was an instrumental prophetic voice in the beginning of IHOP with Mike Bickle. Ah. And there's some really, really interesting stories. So I mean, they have like, uh, I think it's 10 sessions on their uh, website of their prophetic history, they call it. And I think he's right. went through that. That once every decade since the 80s 
And I'm about I'm about into session four here, I believe. But um, really interesting stuff, man. I would I would recommend anybody if you get the chance because there's some really good nuggets too. I've I've actually never. I don't have much familiarity with IHOP. I have friends, uh, our buddy Ryan Horton, he's went up there to the conference and, and a good buddy of mine that I grew up with, Jeremy Tyus, he was actually in IHOP mm-hmm. uh, for a number of years. And it, it was an intense thing. I, I saw such a transformation in his life. And, mm-hmm. and I know Ryan's had amazing, everybody I know that I trust has said amazing things about it, but I've just never listen to Mike Bickle or not familiar with them outside of this one. What was that album we used to play all the time? Remember that? Was it Isa or? Yeah, Isa Couverture. I think she was French or. Yeah, African. yeah. And we, yeah, I we really loved, love like, kind of like a soaking, real chill acoustic album mm-hmm. and we really liked it that that's pretty much the extent of our knowledge of ihop mm-hmm. i started doing a deep dive and man there's some of the most interesting stories related to this bob jones guy in my mm-hmm. bickle that i've ever heard and and i just I, I won't even give it away but if you if you go to ihop's website just type in session one um prophetic history and it'll pull it up they're kind of I haven't, there's probably a good way to find them. I haven't been able to find them like in a real clear way. I have to do that. I have to look them up episode by episode. But when you, would you, what do you think, baby? Would you, would you've been listening to them with me? It's very powerful um, testimonies of God interacting with him, forming yeah. the whole IHOP movement, birthing it in prayer, and just really giving signs and wonders of um, how he was going to make it happen and then how it came to fruition. It's just really. Um, specific like on this date this will happen and then in advance and it happens and and it's not goofy it's you can tell mike bickle he's honest with the facts he he's very um careful to say when something didn't happen like he thought when something did but you know like i said i'd highly yeah and he tells the story to encourage the christians that god is active and still moving and to strengthen your faith if you're wondering if god interacts and if he is involved in your life in in specific ways and does he still speak does he um show you and encourage you in specific ways the answer is yes listen to these testimonies are really really powerful stuff yeah man so i bet we've been we've been listening to that as we've been packing <laughs> right, right, right. um i've been listening been to i've been also reading a really interesting uh series you know and, and i give you guys this stuff i tell you just like with anything else we and and mike beckle would say this too he says it always tested by the word if it doesn't honor the word of yeah, god if it doesn't does. fall within the lines of sound biblical teaching throw it out mm-hmm. and he throws sure. a lot of stuff out um, and we want to test. We want to test this podcast by that. We want to test anything we recommend. We trust your maturity to um, dig through all this stuff and, and see, test it. You know, test it and see what. Hold on to that, which is good, like Paul said. But there's another Asian guy that lives in Australia named Steve Chickalanti. Hard. I think his last name is like C I O C A L A in ti something like that um you can find him all over youtube but he has also a really really interesting prophetic um ministry and he he he's a studier you can tell like he's real analytical and real careful as well but he did a series called the the biblical justice course Mm. where he talks about the gospel of the kingdom and what god is doing in this last day with regard to justice and because you know we we talk we've we've critiqued the modern social justice movement because of the infusion of critical theory and cultural Marxism that kind of runs throughout that, um, the, the modern approach to that. But there is a biblical justice that God mm. cares about and wants to bring about. And so I, I was interested to hear from him to say, 
what does biblical justice look like without that um that kind of like i don't know poison running through it All right and it it's probably it was a really good series it was it was a bit pricey he doesn't have it digitally yet he only has it on dvd but i would recommend that one as well to to listen through mm-hmm. i think both of these um the Mike Bickle, Bob Jones thing is he's really talking about this third great awakening, what they call this, this kind of end time last revival hmm. that's spreading throughout the whole world. And it connects with what Steve Ciccolanti is talking about, actually, that, that also is connected with he, – he opens this new book I just started by him. Um, and oddly enough, funnily enough, it's called Trump's Unfinished Business. But even in his own words, it's not mainly about Trump. It's about – something that God's doing in the world. And the first two chapters, the, I opened it up, the first chapter was talking about the history of the first and second great awakening and mm. what God wants to do in the third awakening, mm. leading into the second chapter, which has to do with biblical justice mm. and how he is going to teach um, the church how to judge. Mm. And it, it also has to do with this miraculous move of the the youth, like Bob Jones was talking about, in signs and wonders. So if you know, at this point, we're we're kind of getting like it's it's this picture that's fuzzy, and sort of parts of it are coming into focus. And so I just wanted to give you guys like an update of what we've been kind of having our ear to the ground on. The other thing I've been listening to a little bit lately um, is we always like to keep up with our our podcast contributors and Elisa Childers. Been watching her, listening to her. You know, she's been doing a lot of a great great work over the past couple of years. And if you haven't listened to her last couple podcasts, we'll touch on these lately. But one, she talked about, should we call God she? Uh, yeah, a lot of that's kind of a big thing in the progressive movement. It's a real fair, balanced conversation on that with a guy. She interviews a guy who really knows the languages, understands church history that speaks into that, um, as well as uh, mops. Uh, she talks uh, Krista Bontrager about is mops kind of fallen into to the progressive. It, it, mm. Was Whitney involved with mops? She was, when, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, th- I thought she was, yeah. yeah. So there were some troubling things that they kind of unearthed that that mm. some leanings that were kind of flowing in. But the big one I wanted to, I actually wanted to cover this. Um, actually, a few was a couple months ago, maybe when it first came out. I can't remember. Maybe in January. I guess that's just a month ago. It feels like time is slowing down as we're packing. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I saw that she had tweeted out that um, something about Max Lucado endorsing Jen Hatmaker. Right. I was a bit like taken aback by that because actually, um, you know, Nerva and I have met Pastor Max. Um, she tried Nerva traveled with him. Yeah. On the in the Toby Mac days, y'all did a the tour or something. Was it a couple tours? Yeah, I think it was like a, a World Vision tour with Smartus, and he was, I think, the speaker. And it was awesome to get to hear him every day. It was was pretty amazing. Loved yeah. his ministry. He would do devotions in the morning, and I was just front row center waiting to hear how. He would just kind of minister to us. It was awesome. Yeah. And same thing for us. We did, like, I think um, it was the Jesus Saves Live project okay, we did with Travis. He was yeah. one of the um, speakers mm-hmm. on it. And he would, we did just occasionally run into him. He had us come to his house. We visited with him and his wife. And he's just amazing, you know, awesome guy. He, uh, The basketball player, we went to his church actually and sang once with uh, Michael Boz. Were you with me on that? Yeah, I've I think it was. His and uh, David Robinson. He he was saved under his ministry. He came oh, back. I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah, he came back and hung out with us a little bit, and, and that was a moment, you know, oh, for me. That's cool. Anyways, Pastor Max was always awesome. Great guy, really loving, really caring. 
when I saw that uh, headline, I was like, oh, oh man, that's not yeah. that's not good. Because I know that Elisa is really careful and she's honest. She doesn't throw away uh, around words lightly, and neither is she a um, you know kind of a heretic hunter type person where she's c- trying to sniff out everybody and expose them. So I, I said, you know, oh man, I'm gonna have to check this out. What's going on? And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning of the year. Just this, you know, the prophetic people talking about this is the year of the mouth the year of the voice and there was going to be simultaneous truth and courage and biblical stuff going out at the highest level but there was also going to be a great wave of deception and people that would surprise you that that might even you know not keep things on track you know Mm. so i looked into this and, and the reason like if you know anything about um jen hatmaker she has basically we'll we'll hear more about it in this article but she has, it's it's funny because, you know, Neil Shinvey, who we've had on the podcast, if you go back right. and listen to Critical Theory, he almost never names names. Like, right. it, it, you, 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 it, it can almost be frustrating at times. You're like, tell us who you're talking about. Who are these people? <laughs> and he'll quote them and he'll say, well, I'll email you in private because I don't want to, I don't want to badmouth anybody. Right. On a on a podcast, though, I, the only person I've ever heard him name is, is a paradigmatic example of someone who has taken in critical theory hook line and sinker and and that's brought him to the point of stepping outside of historic christianity was jen hatmaker wow okay that's the only person he even mentioned publicly Mm. Uh, and if you listen to her any lately in fact the next episode we might go back and and kind of quote-unquote deconstruct her uh her deconversion story or her conversion story to progressive christianity mm-hmm. and um this i think it was from when early on when she first kind of stepped away from her evangelical um background and and you'll hear some of the seeds of that then but if you listen to her now we talked about one of her facebook posts when we did the beth Moore right. john MacArthur thing and, and she's full on like i mean it's it's like textbook critical theory when you read her now yeah. and listen to her um but one of the first things she did was she adopted a uh, pro-gay theology or pro-lgbtq right. um became a, a spokesperson advocate for that and that's kind of like just to give you a little bit of that background and you know i hate it it seems like you know, even even touching this today, it seems like that issue. Why why are you guys always talking about this? Why does the church care so much about sex and everything? Mm. Well, one of the every church you know era has its own heresy that it has to battle. Mm. Mm, and um, oddly enough, the one I think the church is there, there's a couple of them, but one of the main offenders right now that the church is having to battle to stay pure doctrinally. Um, is this battle with the LGBTQ good. activism and the undermining of God's definition of sex, God's definition of marriage? That the 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 reason we keep having to address it is because actually the, the world keeps pressing it, the culture keeps That's pressing good. it. Yeah. It's not something that even the church want to brings up. And I'll give you a quick example. Um, this recently came out on the. Uh, Communist News Network, um, CNN. Like I just slid that in. Yeah, there. just slid it in there. <laughs> it in. The the title was Evangelist Preacher Franklin Graham planned a seven city UK tour. All seven venues have dropped him. And when you start the article here, it says um, a planned UK tour by U.S. evangelist Franklin Graham is in question after every venue booked by the preacher canceled planned appearances. Why did they cancel? Well, following an outcry over his homophobic and Islamophobic comments. 
Now it was mainly, so it was, it was a couple of these LGBT activist groups got up in arms because they don't like that he stands for biblical marriage, biblical sex. And basically they made a big stink and all these, all these uh, venues where he was supposed to have his crusades, which are just, they're just presentations of the gospel. But that's why th- this has become the weapon mm. that is used by the culture, by by activists, all these folks that really, not all of them, but some of them really, and even the ones who aren't consciously aware of it, I do think behind it, it's this, it's the satanic strategy to sh- to shut out the church and yeah. to shut out evangelism. Um, they're going to use that just like they did in the, in the days of Daniel when he was in Babylon, right? They said, you know, they tried to, if they, they said, if we can get it in the laws where he can't, wow, we can dead. trip him on the laws, then we can shut his voice out of here. We can get mm-hmm. rid of him. You know, the enemy really doesn't have any new tricks. So this is just the latest thing that he can use. And he tries to get it, use it on the books so he can stop the God's, his goal, the great commission, stop, stop the word from going forth. And so that's why. It's not as though the church has some obsession with this issue. It's that this is the this is the idol that's being erected to say everybody must bow, and if you don't right. bow, we are going to you know kill you and your family kind of thing. And, and it's so, good too to be aware that words like homophobic, um, Islamophobic, our convictions have become in their eyes hate, right. evil, and they flooded right. the media with these terms, and so. Even um, the church is tempted to take on these definitions and bow down to it. Like, well, no, I'm, I don't want to appear this way. So let me just kind of back off. So it's good to just be aware whether you're aware of this battle or not. You you know, I have a dear friend um, who went on American Idol and she was just innocently just speaking about a lifestyle. And the next few weeks she was bombarded with so much hate and so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, that community. Uh, LGBT community came for her and she had no idea. So this is, it's good to be aware of the battle that's going on right now. It is a battle. And so it's, it's like you said, the enemy has, um, he wants to shut our, our mouths. He wants us to bow and he wants us to not stand for our own convictions. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. So yeah, it's good to keep in mind the redefinition of these terms. And so when they say this, it's code for this, you know, so If you hold to the biblical definition of sex and marriage, that sex is a good gift of God uh, to be enjoyed only within the confines of marriage between one man and one woman, then that, by definition, is labeled homophobic. And so that's good to keep in mind. They're not Mm -hmm. talking about, you know, it includes much more than that. But if you merely stand on that and you love and and care about a person who has same-sex attraction or who may even be in a same-sex relationship, they're still, according to their worldview, you're homophobic and we must shut you down. We must silence you. It's blasphemy according to the the current secular Mm -hmm. um, worldview. Uh, we are still coughing and hacking Man, here. Yes. If you hear, we got <laughs> lozenges are flowing. I thought I got over my cold, bro. Hit me with that second level. Uh, he got we got seven of his brothers stronger than hey. him. <laughs> but I, that's what happens, uh, man. I'm listen. on that upslope though, so don't. I'm don't, on upslope. Don't be spreading it now. No, 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 no. I'm, I'm almost done with it. <laughs> everybody though, everybody got listen, hit. Listen, it like, got me ridiculous. first. Everybody, it's man. The worst. Everybody. Okay. Um. So I, what we're gonna do is just kind of read through this article, make a few comments, um, and talk about what this was, especially in light of, if you didn't get to listen to two weeks ago, 
touched on how do we deal with heresy as Christians? How do we deal with heretics? And that was a Jay Warner Wallace um, article we went through. So I'd recommend if you get a chance, go back through that. We might mention a couple of those points today. But um, but before we jump into this, we want to tell you real quick about Impact 360. Yes, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Impact 360. You know, as we consider all of the battles going on that are raging, you know, and, and how critical the young ages of 16 up to the mid 20s that season and development of life is so critical to um, it's the time when you're deciding what kind of person you want to become, the, what career you want to go into, who you should marry, big questions of life. And when you think about this statistic that you've heard so many times, it just can kind of skate by you that 70 percent of students that go off to college lose their faith in their freshman year. And I heard an interview the other day that said it actually happens prior to college. When you're living under your parents' roof, there's a tendency to just appease your parents and just kind of go through the motions. But by the time you step foot into college, you're bombarded with the secularism and you just kind of go on and lose your faith. Impact 360 is a great place where you can go. You can send your kids and they can get a robust training in the Christian worldview that answers these deep questions. And if you're thinking about it, if you have a son or daughter that's kind of on the line, kind of wondering, asking these deep questions, you want to send them there. And if you're a child, you want to get undergirded with some good Christian understanding, some worldview training. It is the place we've been there. And it's even as an adult, it has been impactful to me. So yeah. Impact 360, their gap year program, it's a yeah. nine month training. They bring in people that are specialists from all over. And it's so awesome. So yeah, so in other words, instead of sending them straight to college yeah, where they're man. basically going to be indoctrinated in neo-Marxism and anti-Christian yeah. worldview, become worse persons than they were when they left, <laughs> you it. can send them to Impact 360 for that first year, and they actually get college credit through that program as well, so the good. Gap Year program, and they're trained in Christian worldview. Then they're kind of sent out and launched into yes. the university where they have the tools they can do to not only withstand, but to make a difference and be salt and light in those universities. So check that Gap Year program out and uh, send your student there before they head off to college. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah I heard of that. Very cool. Yeah. All right, so let's go ahead and uh, jump into this article. Why don't you, will you go ahead and um, read for us there, Brother Robles? So this is from Elisa Childers. The title is Max Lucado's Endorsement of Gen Hatmaker, What It Means mm. and Why It Matters. In the past couple of years, Gen Hatmaker has received quite a bit of attention, not only as a New York Times bestselling author and social media sensation, but also as one of the most high-profile Christians to affirm same-sex marriage. This ignited a controversy that lit up the blogosphere with equal parts disagreement and praise. Despite being given the boot by Southern Baptist retailer Lifeway, her following has slowly gained steam. Establishing her as a successful podcaster, her podcast For the Love is a regularly found in the iTunes Top 10 list of its category, and a persuasive voice in the progressive Christian movement. Her shift on same-sex marriage isn't the only indicator that her beliefs about Christianity have changed. Since its launch in 2017, Hatmaker's podcast has been a veritable who's who of progressive Christian leaders such as Sarah Bessie, Rachel Held Evans, Pete Enns, Nadia Bowles-Weber, Richard Rohr, Barbara Brown-Taylor, Austin Channing Brown, Lisa Sharon Harper, Rachel Hollis, and Glennon Doyle. As I've written about previously, progressive Christianity affirms a different gospel. Hatmaker has ushered in 2020 with a new podcast series called For the Love of Faith Icons, in which she will interview our most beloved faith leaders as we ask for our deepest questions and hear where they found peace and strength to endure. Hatmaker notes that each of these leaders show us that our faith can expand, evolve, and be inclusive 
while never losing the heart of the gospel and our belief in a God who is full of grace and mercy. The first leader Hatmaker invited was evangelical pastor Max Lucado, a best-selling author whose books have sold over 100 million copies worldwide. Beloved by young and old alike, there is almost no conservative or evangelical community that hasn't been impacted by Lucado's work. Lucado began the episode by singing Hatmaker's praises, indicating that he is a fan of her work and saying, I think so highly of you. You energize me to listen to your podcast. You make it so easy and delightful and yet profound at the same time. While Lucado implied that he doesn't agree with everything Hatmaker teaches, nevertheless, he took several opportunities to make the point that unity is paramount. He said, quote, And so you and I, when it comes to the table, whether literally the Lord's table or figuratively the community table, you're my sister and I'm your brother. End quote. He alluded to the idea that it's important to maintain unity with people who claim the name of Christ as long as they affirm the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I think I could find fellowship with Richard Rohr, right? Even though we come from two entirely different worlds. This is a troublesome statement of what Richard Rohr teaches. And so I want to pause. Yeah. That's important to point out. So going back to, just very quickly going back to Jay Warner Wallace's article that we spoke, I'm just going to hit the, the big titles, the, or the big sec, subsections that he spoke on with how should Christians respond hmm. to heresy. Um, he said, we, sh- we should call out the teacher by name. We should describe the teaching. We should do all we can to silence the teacher, and we should refute the teaching if right. they're teaching heresy. Right. So the question is, then, is Jen Hatmaker teaching, teaching heresy? heresy yeah. Right. Right. Heresy. And so let's just assume for, the, for a second that she has maintained evangelical beliefs except for pro gay theology okay. let's say she only switched on that one issue which is right. not the case right but let's just assume for the sake of argument she did this is the question that some people have raised is that issue an issue of heresy is that a fundamental foundational doctrine of christian teaching mm. and you know some people will point back to typically what's we also address this in um the beth moore john MacArthur article because we we talked about how and even on this show we really don't want to be hypercritics now what are hypercritics hypercritics are people that major on the minors Mm -hmm. they take things that are secondary like the gifts of the spirit like women in ministry uh age of the earth views of the end time events and they make those things part of foundational doctrine and they call people heretics that don't agree with them on those specific secondary issues okay Mm -hmm. That would be hypercritics. And oddly oddly enough, this very week, um, Michael Brown was responding. I was listening to a couple of his podcasts. He was responding to what he called hypercritics. Um, it was Todd Friel and some other people um, who had – they were saying – and I don't know if they did this a while back and it's just kind of circulating. Sometimes that happens on social media where something older circulates again yeah. and kind of um, becomes viral. But anyways, they were saying that Bethel worship music and Hillsong worship music, if you do those songs, it was worse than abortion because those are heretical churches and they they say why they think they're heretical. Anyways, Michael Brown really takes them to task on, on some of the statements. And, and in my view, he successfully shows that in many cases they bore false witness um, about these churches and what they were saying and doing. For instance, mm-hmm. uh, they were saying grave soaking was a, part of Bethel's normal 
practice, and right. actually that's been repudiated right. by their leaders many times, even though there may have been some people under the Bethel heading congregants that had done something like that. It's never been accepted by Bethel in a part of there. But anyways, that would be one example that Michael Brown goes through many examples. But so on the one hand, you don't, we don't want to be like these heresy hunters and these people that are graceless and they're looking for every single point of doctrine we might disagree on and then trying to basically burn people to stake. Hmm. On the other hand, you do want to recognize like Jay Warner Wallace said, when people have stepped out of, Orthodoxy. That's basically the definition of heretic or heresy. It's to teach things that are outside of orthodoxy. Well, what is orthodoxy? Well, Norm Geisler gave some, I think, 20 or 21 beliefs that are part of the fundamentals that where he said in in essentials, he called them essentials, in essentials, unity and non-essentials. Um, liberty, give people freedom to believe, you know, in non-essentials, even though they're still important, they're non-essentials in everything, charity or love, you know? So you want to treat people fairly in everything, even if they are heretics. But when it comes to the essentials to be a Christian, you have to be in unity with these basic beliefs. And sometimes people have pointed back to things like the apostles creed or the Nicene creed to say, these are nice uh, summations of central biblical teaching that every Christian needs to hold to. I believe in God, our Father, the, yeah. you know, all these kinds of things. So recently, though, people have, because the thing about these creeds were they were often responses to heresies of their uh, days. Yeah. And if, the if, the, if, too. right. And if that, if that's correct, the, the heresy of our day is this pro gay theology, or at Ooh. least one of them, I would yeah. say cultural Marxism is another one lurking, sure, sure. right next to it um, as a modern day heresy. If that's right, then we might be writing a new creed in essence that, that says, no, this is part of foundational biblical orthodoxy. And if you step outside of this, you're actually stepping into heresy. It's not a secondary issue where we can agree to disagree and still hold to Christian unity and fellowship. Now what real quickly, I just want to go to, go to this break point article and, um, do you have that pulled up, Nerva? I do. Okay. Will you read that for us a little bit? This is one that um, John Stone Street put out a while back, and I thought it was pretty informative. Are sex and marriage issues of orthodoxy? Can Christians agree to disagree about same-sex marriage? Or is accepting homosexuality heresy? Most of us are familiar with the Nicene Creed, the statement of faith adopted in 325 AD to unite Christians against the Arian heresy. It is, to this day, the most widely used summary of Christian orthodoxy. Lately, orthodoxy has become stickier to define. In the wake of sexual revolution, some who call themselves Christians would affirm the Nicene Creed, also accept unions between members of the same sex. Here at the Colson Center, we believe, as the Christian church has taught for two millennia, that any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman runs contrary to God's design. It is serious sin, condemned in no uncertain terms in both the Old and New Testaments. So to justify homosexual behavior or any other expression of sexual deviance, one must do imaginative hermeneutics gymnastics. (laughs) Recently, Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith, whose work I've benefited from immensely, wrote that while he cannot question the historic stance of the church on homosexual behavior and understands it to be sinful, he disagrees with elevating this issue to the level of 
the O word. Orthodoxy, he writes, refers only to the creed and the doctrines it affirms, like the creatorhood of God, the divinity and humanity of Jesus and the Trinity. Adding traditional marriage to the Nicene, the Nicene, am I saying that right? Nice. Adding traditional marriage to the Nicene list of non-negotiable Christian doctrines, he writes, distracts from the life and the work of Jesus and reduces Christianity to a set of morals. Evangelicals and Catholics who use the categories of orthodoxy and heresy to talk about sex, he suggests, are being selective and maybe even a little obsessive. After all, there's never been a marriage council in church history, right? Now, Smith isn't saying that he agrees with so-called same-sex marriage or that it's no big deal. He's simply worried. He's simply worried that we're muddying the meaning of orthodoxy. And that is a valid concern. Yeah. And so Smith, who I've actually read too, I've, I like Smith. Um, yeah. He's basically saying here, that's a that's a moral issue. Orthodoxy only has to do with doctrine and has to do with these central teachings. So don't muddy the water. Don't muddy the term of orthodoxy by including moral issues. Um, but so here, uh, Stone Street goes out. But as theologian Alistair Roberts points out, Smith has forgotten that the very first council in church history, the Jerusalem Council, recorded in Acts 15, did take up the issue of sexuality. Gentile Christians were told to abstain, quote unquote, abstain from sexual immorality, which for the Jewish apostles would mean the list of practices condemned in Leviticus 18, including homosexual behavior. Second, the Nicene Creed was never meant to be the exhaustive description of the Christian faith. And this is what I said earlier. Rather, the creed functions as a summary of God's full revelation, one specifically tailored to address a destructive heresy, Mm. a heresy of its day. Mm. All the councils and creeds were, in fact, responses to particular heresies. I'd suggest it's quite telling that sex and marriage were never considered, quote unquote, up in the air for the church since the Jerusalem Council until now. So in other words, he's saying, you know, it it's actually says something that we've never even had to consider this in church history until now. Right. And when the Nicene Creed uses words like almighty, judge, holy, and sins, we are not free, writes Roberts, to plug in our preferred definitions. The creed's words are defined by God in scripture. Mm. Now, let me pause for a second because just to tell, you know, because it is, it is our culture. We, we tend to want to downplay sexual sins, but let's imagine that we redefined other sins that this, let's say this group of really alt-right white men wanted to say that beating your wife is not a sin Hmm. or that racism is a good thing and it's not a sin. Would Hmm. we say, Oh yeah, they could be, we could agree to disagree and they're still Christian about that. We probably, I don't think Jen Hatmaker would want to make that argument. You know, I don't think we would either. Um, Because we understand that, like he just said, words in Nicene Creed like holy and sins Mm -hmm. entails that we can't redefine what holiness and sins are without doing damage to the central claims of uh, the Bible's definition of God's character and what he calls us to. Right. And that's what Elise actually points that out in, in some of it, too. Oddly enough, you, you can go listen to one of her podcasts where she interviews this girl who's done thorough research on Jen Hatmaker. And she said one of the first theological mistakes that she began to make was she redefined the word holy. Mm. 
And she no longer defined it as God's character, his otherness that expresses itself in uprightness and faithfulness and beauty of character and morality. It was, it was redefined to mean something that basically gives you a sensation of being transcendent. And, um, and, and in that case, the girl even said, and I don't, I don't know, I can't verify this because I haven't had a chance to look in it, but she said that Jen Hatmaker said a one night stand could be holy. And again, I, I, I don't have a place I could footnote that. I do know for a fact that she said same sex marriage is holy. Um, and once you redefine holiness as not in terms of character according to what God defines as sin, it becomes basically anything, a smushy thing sure. that at that point that you can say. Now, she w- she would define as unholy something like we're doing right now on this podcast okay? Um, because we are basically, to her, spreading hateful and destructive yeah. teaching, and that's unholy. So you can see why you can't do what what's the philosopher Smith was trying to do try to carve out and make you know, the morality that's a separate issue. It actually splashes over into the very doctrine of God's nature and the, and the nature of sin and holiness. Um, and, and so Stone Street goes on. And that's why, ultimately, why theology that accepts homosexuality is outside of Christian orthodoxy. When the writers of the creed spoke of, quote-unquote, sin, they assumed God's definition. In the same way, when they spoke of God as creator, they assumed his design for the world, including the creation of male and female, which Jesus himself considered authoritative when he talked about marriage. By responding to the homosexual error some Christians have embraced, evangelicals and Catholics aren't being selective or obsessive at all. We are doing precisely what the authors of the church's creeds were doing when they defended truth against the popular errors of their day. The church of today must stand firm on sex and marriage, just as the church of yesterday stood firm on the deity of Christ at the Council of Nicaea. Mm. After all, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Mm. And interestingly enough, you know, sometimes here's another part that if you're young and you're like, uh, you know, or 40 under, whatever you are. You probably grow up with this this kind of fluffy version of Jesus, like, well, Jesus never talked about that stuff, and he was nice, and he was, you know, this and that. He wouldn't care about these councils. If Again, if you believe in the inspiration of Scripture and the book of Revelation is part of the canon, which the, you know, the church does, we do. John the Revelator, as they say, <laughs> got this apocalypse. Now this, so in, in Revelation two, when it's actually Jesus that he's that he's seeing this vision of, and he's telling John write these to the, the angels of these churches. So this is Jesus in essence speaking to John through this apocalyptic revelation to the church in Thyatira. Uh, beginning at, at verse eighteen in chapter two, he says to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. 
Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and will repay each of you according to your deeds. That is scripture. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Now, that, again, it's, it's funny because that's the same two things they addressed in that church council in Acts. He was talking about sexual immorality okay. and eating you. food sacrificed to idols. So he's saying you have tolerated her and because of that judgment's coming. Oh. Wow. Now, so again, so let's go back to this article. Okay. Assuming for a second that her only crime doctrinally was to present pro-gay theology. In other words, she's telling men to sleep with men that it's holy, telling women to sleep with women that it's holy. This is good and justified by God, thereby leading them into sexual immorality and doing exactly what John, what John record Jesus saying in revelation that we cannot do and cannot tolerate. And and that's a problem. So I I think you know, people were responding to Elisa. Okay. You can go you can go on her Facebook page and she did a live blog where she responds to some of the responses to her. She likes to do it that way because she didn't have time to do it all in writing. Uh, I watched the whole thing. It was really good. She always does a great job. But some of the responses were, well, you're not being, unf- you're being unfair to Max. He didn't endorse her. He didn't do this and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But from these quotes that he says here, calling her a sister in Christ... If this is a matter matter of orthodoxy, it has put her outside of being in Christ. Okay, she you you don't call a, a teach a self proclaimed teacher who is a bona fide heretic that we're we can be in unity in Christ mm-hmm. even though we disagree. That's the we can I I that's putting it in the category of roles of women and age of the earth. Does that make sense? You're making yeah. a major a minor, and that's okay. what progressive Christian while hypercritics tend to make minors major progressives make majors minor and they want to say no we can have room to disagree about what used to be major the trinity all that kind of stuff it's it's all up for debate and there are no central fundamental truths that you have to agree on to be a christian Mm -hmm. in other words anybody that says they're a christian is a brother and sister although again because that can't be affirmed, they end up not affirming the evangelicals that they walked away from more Ooh, times than that's not. True. Mm. That's good. And they end up saying that is actually not Christianity. Wow. So it, again, it sets up for this self-refuting scenario. But let's go back. So I, I just real quickly again, because we'll run out of time here, but Pastor Max said, I think so highly of you. You energize me to listen to your podcast. You make it so easy and delightful and yet profound at the same time. And also where he said, um, and so you and I, when it comes to the table, whether literally or Lord's table, or figuratively the community table, you are my sister and my, I'm your brother. Now that's not constant with what Paul said with, when people were teaching sexual morality in church. He said, I don't even eat with that person. Mm. So it, this, is, this sounds more like our culture yeah. than it does like the Bible. Now, Lisa's not saying that Pastor Max is a progressive Christian. In fact, she says, I, she's positive he's not. I'm, I would say the same thing. I don't think he's committed himself to those tenets. I think what you're seeing here is a disservice as okay. a pastor and a leader in the evangelical world to give her the right hand, of, to give Jen Hatmaker the right hand of fellowship, not trying to be mean. But if you're going to go on her podcast and debate her or say, hey, this is serious error, and we, we disagree on foundational doctrines, and I think you're teaching something that's very destructive. I still love you as a person. I still want mm-hmm. your best. Mm-hmm. I still am praying for you to repent and see things from God's perspective. That's one thing. Yeah. But to say, it, but to kind of give this other impression, I think, is a mistake. 
Okay. And I would ask, as much as I love Pastor Mask, I, Max, I would ask him, I would say, man, please correct this and make it clear. You don't want to give the, especially immature, or, or not immature, but less doctrinally um, advanced people mm. in the body the impression that she is a biblical teacher who can sit under the same umbrella yeah. as an orthodox teacher of the Bible because she's yeah. actually got a fundamental error here. Now that's if she only committed that one error. Unfortunately, that's that's one of many foundational errors. And and this is where Elisa points out that, man, is Pastor Lucado saying he could fellowship with Richard Rohr in that sense as well, like calling him a fellow right. believer in the sense that you would call someone else that you disagree on secondary issues with? Is that what he's saying? Because, and I know you've, you've done some cruise cruises with. Yeah, I was on one cruise with Richard Rohr and he was a, um, a frequent guest on the travel company, especially again for Catholic groups. He was right. kind of just a huge name. And this was six, seven years ago. He was just drawing a lot of people. Yeah. Um, because he's very charismatic and also has interesting ways of talking about things. Yeah. He's a creative guy. You know. Yep. And he and he honestly he he's drawn in a lot of like young evangelicals that are kind of have that bent toward progressive Christianity because of the culture we live in, because he speaks that language and you'll see right. why. But he really um he really speaks the language of social justice. He speaks the language right. of all these things that we're drawn to. So if you want to read on from there, Stephen, I don't know if under the Rohr factor. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan friar whom Jen Hatmaker considers to be a spiritual father and faith hero. On a recent episode of her podcast, she praised him as one of our best teachers, hands down. She promoted his book, Universal Christ, and noted that she has followed him for years and has quoted him in several of her books. Richard Rohr believes Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. So let me pause there. She's referring back to Pastor Max's statement because he's right. like, well, Richard Rohr believes that Jesus was died, was buried, and resurrected. Now, that's, that would be massively naive if you don't define those terms. Um, sure. Or even mis- but, but definitely misleading, whether intentional or not, because what she's going to point out is many people, you know, again, what do they mean by Jesus? What do they mean by resurrected? You know, because sometimes... Yeah, spiritual one of the, resurrection Yeah, one physical. of the progressive things that even, you know, people have pointed out in the past is exactly what you said, like denying the physical resurrection of Jesus. Sometimes they might even go so far to say, well, yes, he resurrected in the transcendent sense that what he did is above human nature. So, you, right, you right. know, you get that with guys like Roar. So you yeah. can't simply just, oh, yeah, yeah, he he affirms these central things. Therefore, he's a brother. Therefore, we can agree to disagree about quote unquote secondary issues. That's not what's going on here. So you need to listen to this next part. Part, um, okay. that Elise is going to describe. However, Rohr's views on Jesus, the Bible, and the cross are unorthodox. He separates Jesus and Christ into two separate entities, with Jesus being a model and exemplar of the human and divine united in one human body. And in Rohr's view, Christ is a cosmic reality that is found, quote, whenever the material and the divine coexist, which is always and everywhere, end quote. So that's an... It- and again, we're th- she has links. Can we link this article yeah. on oh, there yeah, too? Yeah. It'll be in the show. It, when you read this article, she's linking 
each of these statements to other articles. So you can go and dive a little more deeply into what she means by those things. Cause you might hear that and be like, I don't even know what she's talking about, right. but she's in essence, she separates, she, he commits himself to this panentheism. It's called where basically all the material world is like God's body. And at this point, everything becomes Christ and he's separate. Christ is separate from Jesus, this person. So it's a, it, it becomes a really, wild theology that commits itself to, and you'll see why he does that later on because they like to make the, you know, the dirt becomes holy and all this stuff becomes almost endued with um, mystical power and the God person is, is in the table and you know, all this panentheism. Yeah, exactly. And so if you're like, I don't have any idea what panentheism means, chase these links down. It'll describe it and it'll, it'll compare it to biblical theism, which has a distinction between creator and creature. While God is imminent and he is present, the universe is not the body of God. Or you can watch star Wars. I think it's pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) Good. All right. So the article continues. Rohr also believes that all religions share the same core truth and are all paths to truth, perennialism. He denies original sin, the atonement, the exclusivity of Christianity, an orthodox understanding of heaven and hell, and the literal second coming of Christ. He rejects the idea that the entire Bible is the word of God and encourages readers to disagree with or omit the things they believe are wrong. He teaches this is what Jesus did. Hadmaker has brought Roar's false gospel to over 700,000 followers on Facebook and countless more through her books and podcasts. Yeah, so again, things like the the path of Buddhism, the path of Islam, all these are our paths that lead to the same God. They're all right. part of the perennial Christ that's present in all of these different religions, all these different things. So there is no, you know, so he ends up basically going down the line of classic historic Christian doctrine right. uh, all the way to the fundamental level. And this, this is the guy that Jen Hatmaker saying is the, the teacher. He's, you know, mm-hmm. my guru. With the most recent guest of Hatmaker's new podcast series being Andy Stanley, and based on a recent Facebook post, it seems she is trying to bridge the divide between evangelicals and progressives. On first blush, this could seem like a good thing because unity is a consistent theme throughout the New Testament. It's the very thing Jesus prayed for in John seventeen twenty two and what Paul sought to actualize among the first century believers. But is this type of unity biblical, or does the Bible actually warn against being united with everyone who considers themselves to be Christian? The Apostle Paul taught the Christians in Ephesus to, quote, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, end quote, Ephesians 4.3. However, he goes on to say we have one faith, chapter 4, verse 5. So this is a unity based on our common faith, not separate from it. It's not unity for the sake of unity. His comments on unity were actually followed by specific instructions for Christians to reject their old way of life and to pursue holiness and Christ-like compassion. Paul warns the readers to avoid even a hint of sexual immorality or greed. He advises them not to partner with anyone who is openly disobedient to Christ, but instead to live as children of the light. So according to Paul, Christian unity can only exist within the framework of God's holiness. So I want to read that one more time. According to Paul, under the inspiration, Christian unity can only exist within the framework of God's holiness. Mm. Now that, again, that's going to hit us all because we, you know, we love unity for unity's sake. And it's like, it's, I remember growing up, we loved faith for faith's sake, (laughs) but Mm. it's not mere faith. It's faith. It's confidence in truth revealed by God. So it has a content element to it. Same thing for unity. It's not 
blanket carte blanche unity. It's unity based in Christ. Unity with false teachers? The article continues. The Jesus who prayed for unity among believers in John 17 is the same Jesus who writes a letter to the church of Thyatira in Revelation 2, 18-28. He reprimands them for tolerating a self-professed prophetess who led God's people into the practice of sexual immorality. He didn't command them to remain in unity with her, even though she identified herself as a Christian, but actually rebuked them for tolerating her. In his epistle, Jude had no interest in keeping unity with false teachers, but instead encouraged the church to identify and remove them. He warned of ungodly people who had crept into the church unnoticed and had turned God's grace into a license for immorality. He pronounced woe on them, and he warned believers to persevere in their faith. In Titus 1.9, Christian leaders especially are tasked with guarding the church. Quote, an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. End quote. This is followed by an astonishingly pointed remark, quote, they must be silenced. End quote. Nowhere in the Bible is it acceptable for a church leader to turn a blind eye to a false teacher or embrace that false teacher in unity. In fact, Paul took it a step further and named names. He specifically mentioned Alexander, Hymenaeus and Philetus, who had left the faith of other Christians overthrown and shipwrecked, 2 Timothy and 1 Timothy. How does that hit you guys as you're reading it? It's clear. Right. That's it's a I good reminder, right? It's a you... very crystal clear um, statement of what not to do, <laughs> for yeah, sure. Man. It's yes. like, you know, in this culture of peace and unity and let's just all get along and we just just love. This is a different definition here. Not that it's defining love, but it's just saying how to unite and how not to. Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. Just several times, like you said, it's clear. Like, you need it's to deal crystal. with it. Yeah. And, you know, oddly... What, what and, you, you know, we, we have to remind ourselves that we, we don't make the rules. <laughs> we didn't write the Bible. It wasn't, you know... Why the, are you hating? You know, <laughs> you know it's like, I, I have to say, you know, th- this is holy other scripture from God yeah. that he has allowed us to read and just kind of hold on to here today. It's like, it's not like, it's, it's the word above culture, the word above media, the word above everything. And so we do good to hear what it's saying on its own terms. I guess that's the whole aim, but to hear that, I don't, I don't even, there's no debate. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I always, I always like to apply people's tests and, and think through scenarios because I, I do think even for the progressive church, I imagine a scenario where somebody infiltrates their congregation and starts teaching white supremacy, for instance, or like right. patriarchy, like extreme patriarchy. Right. Yeah. And they just go up during the service and grab the mic and start preaching it. Hey. And, and you see that. Well, I won't see that, but you could imagine that scenario. They would. They would not want to unify with that person. Just be. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah. Say whatever's on your heart. You know. Right. Everybody's gonna have. This is something Douglas Wilson talks about. Every society has blasphemy laws. Even a secular <laughs> society. True. I was Their blasphemy that. laws are being enacted. We're seeing it before our eyes. You can't talk about the LGBTQ. It's political correctness. Sure. That's their blasphemy laws. God's blasphemy laws are. You can't. Um, blaspheme his name you can't mm-hmm. you know bear in false witness spirit, yeah. you can't speak about people's character false you can't speak about his character falsely mm-hmm. you can't uh, and you know it, it's funny that again i think if you don't think about it you could be kind of tricked into think oh yeah yeah they're all about unity and love they're not mm-hmm. when it comes to the and you'll hear some of the most 
awful language you've ever heard when it's aimed at the their so-called fundamentalists or the so-called evangelicals. Mm, they don't sure. want to unify with, for instance, um, mm. the late Jerry Falwell. Sure. You know, they don't want to be sure. thought of alongside of him. Um, or Todd Friel, for that matter, the hypercritic, you know. Right, right. But anyways, it's just a, just a funny little thing. But last last um, couple segments here, causing division, will you read that one? We live in a culture of tolerance where words like inclusion and affirmation have become non-negotiable tenets. Thus, it can be tempting to view any display of disunity as divisive. But we would do good to remember that the Bible places the blame for divisions on the ones bringing in the false doctrine, not on those who call it out. Paul writes in Romans 16:17, I appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Notice that it was the false teachers who Paul criticizes for being divisive, not the believers. But we are not encountering anything new. Every generation of Christians have been tasked with the command to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, Jude 3. In a recent briefing, Al Mohler noted that when we look at the history of the mainline denominations being lost to liberal theology, it wasn't because the liberals outnumbered everyone else. Rather, quote, in almost every case, it's the muddy middle that ends up ensuring the liberal future of the church because those moderates are unwilling to draw clear doctrinal and moral boundaries and to make them stick. They are far more concerned with holding the denomination, the institution, or the congregation together than they are with keeping a very clear commitment to the historic Christian faith and to its central doctrines and moral teachings. It's our turn. Much like the liberals who began working their way through the mainline denominations in the early 20th century, progressive Christianity is infiltrating and swallowing up the evangelical church. If we've learned anything from church history, now is the time to address it. It's not time to appear on their podcast with the vague hope of establishing mm. unity. Oh my gosh. Re- re- say that yeah, one hey, more time. I'll say it again. Well, yes. and it's interesting. I'm going to keep reading, but Erwin McManus has now been on Jen Hatmaker's podcast. Um, I think Beth Moore was on it. She was yeah, in I'm going to listen to it. I haven't listened yeah. to it yet. Yeah. So, you know, because that was a question I was going to ask you a little while ago. Yeah. Can, can we go on someone like her's podcast and still stand for these things that the Bible tells us to, and like Elisa right. is calling us to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, I, I think you can, yeah. you know, but yeah, I think you, you have to be can. very clear. You know, if, if you are a big name, quote unquote, in like evangelical Christianity, and you do choose to go on her podcast, I think you have to make stuff abundantly clear yep. via your own social media, via some, po- you know, some blog post that you write about exactly. it to be clear why you're doing it and that your stances are not changing. Yeah. Because again, like she has like a, a long line of big evangelical preacher names now in her podcast episodes. And if all you do is just look at the titles, you're like, oh, she must be cool because yeah, yeah. all these big names in evangelical Christianity are in her episode titles. And then you start listening to her and you're like, oh yeah, that is loving to affirm that, you know, it's, right. it's a, if you're not making it clear. And I think a good example of this would be um, Ravi Zacharias spoke at the Mormon Tabernacle a number of years ago. Right. And when he spoke there, he said, I, you know, I recognize right here our disagreements are foundational and they are deep. We're going to talk right. about yeah. truth, though, which we agree on truth. Right. And he go the way he says it, because you know his body of work, 
and because they knew his body of work, you right. knew what she, it was made clear. So right. just like you said, if you're going to do that, you need to make this clear. Unfortunately, I think in many of those cases, it's not made clear. Correct. And <laughs> it's going to give more cover to the deception, the infiltration that's going on with progressive Christianity right now in the evangelical world. Sometimes I wonder, this might be my cynical side, like at the base of it is the fear of man and the fear mm. of the onslaught of the the backlash from yeah. either side sometimes. Yeah, so man. it's good to count the cost, yay or nay, what you decide. You know what I'm saying? Whether you say no because I just think it's wise not to go or whether you say yes, I'm going to yeah, go man. and choose to try to bring, shed light. Either way today, it's gonna. there's going to be some kind of backlash. But either way, I'm, I'm just kind of processing that. I have seen it done. You've seen yeah. William Lane Craig on Ben Shapiro's show. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, there's always yeah. the meeting of the minds, but making it clear like he yep. just read is, is key. Yeah. Jesus compared false prophets to wolves in Matthew seven fifteen. Can you imagine a shepherd trying to build a bridge or sit at the table with a wolf? When a wolf comes after the sheep, the shepherd has one job, protect mm-hmm. the sheep not the wolf. Mm. Shoot. We don't get a pass because our current cultural climate would label us as disruptive or unloving. It's because of our love for Jesus and out of protection for his bride that we must find the courage to do what is right. It's possible that Max Lucado is unaware of how unorthodox the teachings of Jen Hatmaker and Richard Rohr are. I pray that is the case, but Christian leaders cannot afford to brush aside the danger of these unbiblical alliances under the guise of promoting unity. The Bible simply doesn't give them that option. The gospel is worth fighting for. The church is worth protecting. It's this generation's turn to do the hard things, and I pray God will give our Christian leaders the courage and unflinching loyalty to the sufficiency and authority of the scriptures, not only to discern the deceptions, but also to speak God's truth clearly to those who are being misled. I would also say, first of all, Lisa killed it in this article, and it, mm. it's interesting how much she sounds like uh, Mario Murillo mm. in uh, The Vessels of Fire and Glory, just saying how this is a time yeah. not yeah, to man. compromise, even yeah, yeah. because people be walking For out of sure. your church. But when she says, you know, maybe Max Lucado is unaware of the teachings of Jen Hatmaker, I would say in addition to making it abundantly clear your purpose for going on a show like hers, you need to educate yourself on their stances. Yeah. You know, if I was going to go on a podcast with Michael Gunger, yeah, you got to know the ins and outs of what he's about, right? Because a, it'll either come up, or b, I think you need to address it in those peripheral uh, avenues, For whether sure. it's on social For media. Sure. So, yeah, that would seem irresponsible to yeah, not man. to not be studied on that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Having traveled on the road many years, not that I'm a pro at it, just kind of I know what it's like to kind of show up to the interview. <laughs> Because life is so hectic, I'll give him a little grace. And sometimes um, when you reach that level of status and your schedule can be so filled, you just kind of show up. Okay, what's on there today? And you didn't have the time. So I'd say, but he did say things like you and I are sisters and brothers. And, and he so says that, like, he, that she yeah. listens to her podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. it's like there is definitely that. I. This is like that Drew Brees conversation we had. I know, right? Yes, here we go with We're that. We're about to go back to that. <laughs> I doubt, you know, I. He listens to her podcast. I, I would like to know what he how how many times if he knows she's heretic, you know, heresy, and and just preaching pro LGBTQ. Does does he affirm that? No, I That's don't think huge. he does. 
the problem is he, he again by saying what he said and going on there like yeah. he went on there it gi- it gives credence to the idea that you can like he doesn't affirm it she does affirm it it's the it's pre trib rapture post trib rapture it's you know it's, it's, okay. it's yeah. a minor issue we can agree to disagree and still have unity as brothers and sisters at the table of the lord and we're we basically just yeah. spent the last hour arguing no this no. is a foundational issue <laughs> and it's, yeah. if it is a foundational issue how should we approach it well that throws us to the Jay Warner Wallace article and and how sure. we should approach and, and really the apostle Paul and Jesus and tolerating Jezebel, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think it comes back to, this is the hour friends, like Ooh, for real, it's a new day. like it right now true. we need to be able to, we need to know, we need to know those foundations. We need to stand mm-hmm. on those foundations. We can do so in a loving way, but we do not need to be fl- fluffy or fuzzy or all this kind of stuff, wishy-washy sure. in this season because you will get swept up and, and pulled in the wrong direction. And God is on the movies doing amazing things. We want to be part of that. We want to um, be voices for truth and, and love. We want to stand strong in this day and age when it's so easy to just bow, so easy to bow. Don't yeah. bow. Well, there's going to be links to all those in show notes and additional the uh, articles from Richard Rohr's website that Elisa Childers had all linked to. So I encourage you to go to show notes, check it out. Check out Impact 360's new gap year program that you heard Nerva talk about. And again, we'd love to hear your reactions and interactions about this and our halftime show episode and anything else. You can interact with us on social media at FreeMindFM on Twitter and Instagram and FreeMindPodcastFM on Facebook. And you can even email us podcast at FreeMind.FM. And lastly, we want to encourage you to check out our Patreon where we have bonus episodes. The latest episode was uh, Seth and Nerva talking about their move out to California. And so with a donation of any amount, you get access to all those bonus episodes and you can go to Patreon.com slash FreeMindFM to check those out. See you next time. Go, go, go.